Iguodala, and here it comes. He got it! The Warriors have won on a game-winning shot by Andre Iguodala! Live in the entertainment capital of the world. A Smith screen. Hoji will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no record for human life! It's the T.C. Martin Show. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. And Saul says, pay pass a big ticket. T.C. Martin. And here comes the Birdman. Flapping his wings and soaring for a sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things. With that sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Ole. Ole. Ole it is. On a wild Wednesday, glad to have you with us. TC Martin Show, of course, streaming live wherever you may be. The tcmartinshow.com. Wild Wednesday edition today. I got a feeling we're going to have some laughs today. Because not only do we have the comedian coming on, Dennis Gaxiola, but Paul Buck Power Stewart, I think, could double as a comedian. That's right. Our favorite Brit Limey, whatever you want to call him. Is a Limey and a Brit the same thing? I have no idea. Yeah, I, yeah. why am I asking you? I don't know. There it is. But uh, I think Limeys are from Australia and Brits are from England. I have no idea. We'll talk Brits. We'll talk Brats. We'll get Paul Buck Power Stewart's thoughts on the game in Germany last weekend. We talked to TJ Reeves yesterday. We got that, you know biased opinion from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sideline reporter Paul Buck Power Stewart over there in Europe did not go to the game in Germany I'm going to ask him why but that'll be fun as it always is I'm sure there'll be plenty of musical references and everything else that's going on so Paul Buck Power Stewart will join us today we'll talk to him regarding all things England Europe NFL Tampa Bay Buccaneers any whole lot more always a fun time uh, with him as well too, and I mentioned Dennis Gaxiol, longtime, longtime Raiders season ticket holder when the Raiders were in Oakland, and he's made the trip here on a few occasions as his schedule allows it from you know touring as a comedian, but uh, I don't think he's been to a game here yet in Vegas, and now I'm just wondering his frustration level for Raider Nation. Wow, is he passionate? So. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be getting jokes cracked with uh, Dennis Gaxiola today or if we are going to be getting just, you know, frustration as well, too. So we'll see all that. So, yeah, a lot of NFL uh, to talk about here on the program. But we start the show today talking about what we witnessed last night at the Thomas and Mack Center, UNLV, the Runner Rebels defeat, number 21 Dayton last night. Flyers came in here and started off like a house of fire, played exceptionally well. But UNLV played some great lockdown defense, specifically in the second half, and they defeated Dayton 60-52, to uh, upset Dayton last night. And I say it's an upset just in the fact that UNLV was about a four-and-a-half-point underdog in this game. But you look at these two teams, um, very, very comparable to each other, and uh, very exciting last night uh, that UNLV got the victory. Uh, first time beating a ranked opponent since... December 21st, 2014. That was against Arizona. You know why I know that date, Numchuck? You know why? You were there. I was there. 
not only was I there, but that was the day, because I was currently living in Green Bay at that point in time, my daughter, as we know, people know, Julie Jules, Jules uh, had her audition for the SSA program that day, and she got admitted to UNLV on the spot. How are we going to go celebrate? Oh, we're going to go see the Rebels. We're going to go see the Rebels play number 3 ranked Arizona. And uh, fantastic game that night, and uh, the Rebels got the victory as we know, and uh, that place was electric that night. And that at that point in time, Jewel says, "That's it, Dad. I'm in that student section from now on." And and, and she was. So uh, yeah, a little a little reminiscent of that. That's what it reminded me of. But anyway, uh, impressive performance last night. So we start the show off talking to our good friend, the head coach, who got the victory last night, Kevin Kruger. Kevin, what's going on, my man? Not too much. How are you guys doing? I'm good, man. I am good. Congratulations again. And uh, you had to, you know, have a little celebratory, you know, I don't know, food, cocktail, something after the game. You were, you had to be feeling pretty good last night. You looked like you were feeling good. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it's always a good feeling uh, to win home games, especially with that one with that much emotion and, uh, you know, against a really good Dayton team that you know, had a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, they'll definitely be playing in March. So uh, a really good uh, win, a good effort by the guys. Impressive win last night, no question about it. What impressed you the most? What were you most happy about? I thought just that you guys made plays when they needed to. You know, there was a couple opportunities to uh, that they could have, you know, just kind of hovered in that, you know, down 11, down 8, down 10, down 8, you know, kind of back and forth. But just made some made some big-time plays, got some big rebounds and some big stops, and uh, just kind of did what they needed to do to, to come out with the win. <laughs> 12-point deficit, you guys were down, and you came battling back. And really, it was a tale of two halves. I mean, Dayton was using their size in the first half. They got a lot of buckets down low. I mean, had a tremendous size uh, advantage over you. But in the second half, you stifled them. I mean, they really looked rattled last night, especially in the second half. I'm curious, Kevin, what was said at halftime by you, and what adjustments did you guys make as a coaching staff? Uh, I think, you know, we just really wanted to emphasize what the kind of what we had been working on. And uh, I thought the guys did a good job talking amongst themselves and kind of banding together and, and just, uh, just kind of executing more of what had been our DNA and our identity, you know, being more disruptive, uh, keeping the ball away from the rim and out of the paint. And uh, I thought uh, in the second half, we just had a little more consistency to it, but, as much as anything, we were just we just got better shots, and uh, you know the ball moved really well offensively. And uh, anytime you do that, it's uh, it's also going to help your defense out. And you're facing uh, a, a top twenty one team, and you know that they have size. How did you prep for them, and how did you game plan for them leading up to this game? Because let's face it, I mean this was your toughest opponent to date. Yeah, you know, one of the things with Dayton with their their size and their length is it's not really something you can simulate. Uh, you know, we have a pretty big and, and physical uh, team. Uh, you know, we've got good height across the board. We've got good strength across the board. But, they, you know, Dayton's right there up, uh, at the top of maybe one of, if not the biggest teams in the country. Uh, you know, they just they got a lot of tall people with a lot of length. So, you know, the 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 approach was just kind of trusting that what we were going over for the two days was what we were going to have to do um, going into the game. But uh, guys just made plays. They, they made plays for each other. They were excited for each other. And, you know, you, you got to do that if you expect to 
to beat a top 25 team. Yeah, the reason why I asked you about what was said or the adjustments at halftime, because, I mean, it was, you know, like I said, a tale of two halves. I mean, Dayton, you know, they were getting a lot of, of buckets down low, uh, getting using their size, uh, you know, really concentrate on getting into the paint. They were cra- crashing the offensive glass. We saw the lobs, you know, you know, down low, and it just seemed like none of that was there for them in the second half. So obviously, you know, credit to you guys, uh, you know, for clamping down defensively. But to me, it just looked like they just totally got away from what they were having success doing in the first half. In the second half, it's looking like the second half that they were just so frustrated and so flustered. And I was just curious, you know, what what was your take about that? Because again, I mean, th- their game plan was totally different in the second half. They were settling for long jumpers, uh, you know, they were fighting the shot clock. And again, I think a lot of that is, is credit to you and your defense. But what did you notice from them? Yeah, I think a lot of it just had to do with the activity on the ball. The ball pressure was really good. Um, guys were pushing the extending Dayton's offense out. Uh, away from the three-point line, which made a lot of those looks inside uh, more difficult. And, uh, you know, we just did a really good job on the ball. Guys uh, we didn't get beat, uh, didn't allow driving angles. And, uh, you know, when you don't require help uh, defensively, it's, uh, it, you can kind of be – you can be a lot more solid. You can be a lot more stingy, and, and uh, that's what the guys did. Kevin Kruger joins us, head coach of UNLV and the Rebels. Very impressive win last night. The Thomas and Max 60-52 to over 21st rank Dayton. Again, it was the uh, the first time UNLV had beaten a ranked opponent since December 21st, 2014, when they defeated Arizona, the Thomas and Mack Center, when they were ranked number three in the country. Kevin, the crowd was a huge factor last night. And even though the, the numbers are going to say it was 5,700, it seemed like a lot more. It sounded a lot louder than 5,700 last night. How did it feel to you from where you were standing there on the sideline in front of your bench? It, well, it felt great. You know, it felt loud. The crowd was into it. Um, I think, uh, you know, the the Dayton fans that came up, and they were loud early, really really got our fan base going. And uh, I thought our fan base did a great job of, you know, letting them know that uh, we were going to be louder and we were going to be more vocal. And But uh, when, we were on, when we went on that run in the second half, uh, you could really hear it. You could really feel the energy from the crowd. You know, you're, you're right. There were Dayton fans that were there last night. I think that kind of surprised a lot of people. It even surprised me a little bit. I mean, it's not like, okay, that's Ohio State or that's Michigan or somebody like that. But, I mean, you know, Dayton's got a fine program, but they really did travel well last night. I don't know if that surprised you much. Um, not really. You know, you know, growing up, uh, you know, Dayton has a – a great fan base, you know they they sell out all their home games and uh, they've got a great following and and you combine that with Vegas, you know you're gonna get you're gonna have a handful of of uh, opposing fans. You know any, every time we have a non conference team come in here, we usually have I think more than they usually travel with. Right. You know being Vegas, so uh, no, it was about I think what I expected personally, and um, but I'm just really glad that once the game started. Uh, you couldn't really hear them anymore, and you, you know, our our crowd just did such a good job of making noise. It was really a gritty, grimy type of a game too, and really not necessarily the running rebels last night. It was the physical rebels last night. Uh, how good do you feel about being suited? How suited is your team for that type of game? 
Well, here, especially early on, you know, I think that's, that's going to be the norm. But again, if you go across the landscape of college basketball, I think not only this year, but in years past, I think, and of course, I haven't looked, done the research, but it's just kind of a gut feeling. You know, the games between two, you know, two teams that are either going to be in the NCAA tournament, try to make the NCAA tournament, are normally going to come down to Slugfest. Yeah. And uh, so, so having a group of guys and a team that is okay with that and almost prefers it, I think is uh, it gives us a, a lot of hope and a, a good sense of security that if if we're going to go out and compete like that defensively, and that's going to be our baseline, then yeah, there's not going to be there's going to be nights where our offense doesn't click, and you know, on the nights that it does click, and uh, we're going to be all right. Very impressive on the defensive end of the court, forced 24 turnovers. That is amazing against uh, a quality opponent like that. Why do you think you were able to frustrate them so much? I know you mentioned earlier about just pressure on the ball, but aside from that, anything else? Well, I think when you got guys like, you know, Keyshawn Gilbert, Luis Rodriguez, Eli Parquet, EJ Harkless, you know, that that have experience being disruptive defensively and have years of, of playing um, a kind of that defensive role of being the disruptor and, and disruptive, um, I think when you put them all out there together, uh, they can do good things. Um, I thought, especially in the second half, the guys just did a really good job of playing off each other and letting their instincts kick in, um, not to overhelp or, or, or not to not help at all, but just kind of see where their teammates were and what they were doing on the ball and how they could make, uh, how they could just be annoying to what Dayton was trying to run. You know, we've talked about defense before, and we know that, you know, coming into this season, you really wanted to make that an emphasis. And we all know that it's true that, you know, your, your offense basically starts with defense. It starts on the defensive end of the court. And, you know, that, that, that's a, a great way to, to transition into your offense when you have some lockdown defense. When you are recruiting, okay, how much of an emphasis are you putting on, okay, I want, these guys that can play D. I mean, scoring's fine, everything, but I really want some guys that can lock it down. And when you're recruiting players that that you want, do you sometimes maybe say, okay, I know this guy maybe isn't that big of a scorer. He might not come in here and, and, and average double figures, but man, this guy could be such a strong defensive presence for me that you may take a guy like that over a guy that maybe doesn't play that good a defense, but you know they could fill it up. Well, yeah, I think, you know, when we're looking at it, any time that guys have, have a reputation defensively, it definitely catches our eye. And, and I think we we got very fortunate in getting a group of guys that with just a little bit more of a expanded responsibility offensively that their offensive production could go up. And uh, as long as they hold on to that defensive mindset and that defensive DNA, uh, combined with just a little more responsibility offensively and a little more opportunity that uh, they can be really good players here. And I think we saw that last year with a handful of guys out of the portal. And then I think uh, we're seeing it right now so far this year with uh, the guys that have come in as well. Down 12 points last night. You guys battled back. And we got to the eight-minute mark in the second half. You guys took the lead for good. And then you held them without a field goal in the final six and a half minutes of the game. Give me your thoughts on how you were able to not only hold the lead, but what impressed me is that you were able to expand on that lead, and then you closed it out, and you closed it out in just some emphatic fashion that you know you did not even open the door and let them come back. Yeah, I think the, the guys just, you know, they recognize that 
and I think they fed off the crowd and the momentum and and really just did a, a great job of taking Dayton out of what they were looking for and uh, and just making them dribble and making them uh, and just disrupting the timing and you know when they did that uh, you know it was, it was it was fun to watch and be a part of of you know good clean rebounds good health defense uh, being disruptive and because. Uh, as you know, one of the things Vegas fans and, and UNLV fans have loved forever is uh, is pressure defense, and, and they, they they understand what they're watching, and they appreciate the hustle. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about your rotation right now, and and how are the guys handling you know their minutes? Because we understand that you know early on in the season, there's always kind of that give and take. You're kind of feeling out your way to see. You know, you know, which, which which guys are going to fit? You know, with each other. You're doing a lot of chemistry things, and then you're you're seeing who can handle, you know, the the pressure of these early game situations. Talk a little bit about your rotation and how you guys are handling their minutes. Yeah, I think you know, in, in the non-conference and with the foreign trip and the and the closed door scrimmages, of course, you just uh, you want to try rotations and you want to see um, different lineups together, but. Uh, you know, everything we do, I think we've got 13 guys that can play. I think we've got 13 guys that we're going to see throughout the season in different spots. Um, but, you know, as playing time goes, it's just one of those, you kind of go with your gut and the momentum and the flow of the game. And, you know, that that group that was uh, guarding last night was doing a really good job. And so that was uh, the, the what we just felt more com- most comfortable with uh, out there getting stops. And I think uh, the best part of it was that, I'm sure you've seen the celebration in the locker room. Um, you know, nobody, everybody was up. Everybody was jumping around and happy for each other. And, and that's what you want to see because, uh, you know, Friday night it could be a different person or two called on. And uh, that's, what, uh, that's what the good teams do. They've got supportive guys that support each other and root for each other because at the end of the day, all that matters is getting UNLV the win. You know, we talked, uh, I think it was last week, uh, about EJ Harkless before, about, you know, what can fans expect to see out of him, and and last night uh, we saw him uh, be a big catalyst uh, again. Kind of, I don't want to say taking over, but really uh, making a huge difference, especially in the final ten minutes of this game last night. Talk a little bit uh, about him, and do you kind of feel that maybe you know for a guy who's is still relatively new to the program, was that kind of a breakout game for him? Yeah, I think it was great to see because you know we 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 know coming in he's kind of the most established guy coming uh, on the roster you know having been um a, a every night every day guy at Oklahoma last year and the year before so uh to have him uh kind of shine in that opportunity is just really good for us going forward um you know he missed a lot of the or all of the summer and part of the fall practices with uh, with coming back from his knee surgery so you know him having that that opportunity and going out there and and producing is uh, I just think it's really great for us as a whole uh, Kevin Kruger joins us talking Rebels victory last night over Dayton, sixty to fifty-two. Big win for the Rebels, three and zero right now. And again, defeating that ranked team was huge last night. Now you got a game coming up on Friday. It's against High Point. Uh, not taking anything away from High Point, but obviously they're not a top twenty-five team. They're not, uh, you know, a, a power five team or even a big-time mid-major team. How do you guard against any type of letdown from the guys? Well, that's going to be the, the challenge. Uh, I think, you know, you, High Point is not maybe as well-known out here on the West Coast as some other names, but uh, a very good team, a very dangerous team. And uh, that's one of the things we'll, we'll try to do over the next couple of days is just make sure that these guys understand that uh, this is absolutely a team that can come in here and beat us if uh, we're not ready, just like uh, we've seen across the country. You know, you've seen a lot of teams go, go places and win games that 
maybe a lot of people don't think they should. And, uh, and that's what happens, uh, if, if you're not ready and, uh, and, or if we're not ready that they'll come in here and get one and we can't give, uh, the Dayton win back. And, uh, so that'll be our challenge for this group. It's a great early challenge to have is just kind of see how we're going to react after a very emotional and, and, uh, exciting, uh, win on, uh, uh last night. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, fans can be fickle. Uh, you got, uh, some great boosters there, uh, at UNLV and have been, and they've hung with this program for a long, long time, even over the downtrodden, you know, seasons. But a win like this obviously can catapult, uh, not only your team, but can also, you know, kind of invigorate the crowd base, uh, as well, too. Uh, give me some thoughts on, on moving forward on how last night's victory can, you know, increase attendance of the Thomas and Mack Center, and, and how do you capitalize on that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've been saying, I think this is a team that that uh, is going to be fun to root for, you know, that's going to play really hard. And, you know, when you've got a group of guys that compete the way they do on the defensive end, I think uh, it's just a situation where we just need people to come see them and people to come uh, watch them and see them live and, and have that experience. And I think, uh, you know, Rebel fans will come back to the Thomas and Mac pretty quickly or a second time, a third time and for the rest of the year, because, uh, this group's going to compete. You know, these guys get after it pretty good. They enjoy playing defense. They enjoy playing for each other. So, uh, we just got to do whatever we can to, to get more people to the Thomas and Mac because, uh, uh, if we learned anything from last night, it's that the, how important the, the Thomas and Mac crowd can be. Yeah, absolutely. Again, fifty seven hundred in there last night. It really it had the sense of about nine or ten thousand as well. And we know that just the the dynamics there, that place can get really, really loud. And when you only have even five or six thousand in there. Final thing here for you, Kevin, is that you know I know that you, like I said, you focus on a high point, and you know it's always the next game up. You never want to get caught looking ahead. But as you know, you and the staff, you've got a game plan for opponents you know, looking ahead, how much have you looked ahead at the rest of this non-conference schedule? You got Southern Illinois, who's another very solid program, uh, coming in. Um, you guys got Hawaii, you got Washington state. We talked about USF, you know, you're going to play them again here. So you still got some challenging games looking ahead here. How much do you look ahead? Like say to, to games coming up here in the next few weeks? Um, I don't other than, uh, just the schedule about, Traveling, travel plans, practice times, uh, but other than that, we don't. We uh, one of the things we've said, even starting with the the first closed door scrimmage that we had, was uh, you know after each game we said it's one down, one to go, you know, and, and after last night it was one down, one to go. You know, we've got to do, we can't focus on anything but high point. Um, but yeah, honestly, couldn't tell you past the, of course, high point, and then the the SoCal challenge next week in LA. Um, I, I couldn't tell you who we're playing on what day. It's just uh, that that's how yeah, I'm really just, and it's not by design. It's just something I think you just get kind of, you know, yeah. engulfed in what you're doing. And, and you just, the rest is kind of, you know, you cross that bridge when you get to it type of mentality. And that is the right way to approach it. I mean, cause that's what you're preaching to your players as well. I mean, again, you know, just one game at a time, you know, one practice at a time. And that's what you have to do. So no, I, I think it's a great way to approach it. All right, my friend, uh, congratulations again. Great seeing you last night. Uh, great uh, being in that building. Uh, it was a very, uh, 
very, very um, fantastic crowd all the way around. And uh, the performance that you guys put forth, you know, 24 uh, turnovers that you forced last night. Uh, the defensive effort was uh, was really superb. So congratulations and uh, good luck on Friday. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. There he is, Kevin Kruger, the head coach at UNLV, coming off that uh, big win last night, 60-52. to 52 over the University of Dayton. And there were a lot of Dayton fans that were in the building last night. <laughs> they uh they traveled well. And like he's right, you know, when you mix in you're you're playing in Las Vegas, you're coming to Las Vegas, it's it's a vacation. And I saw some Dayton fans last night uh at uh, one of the hotels I stopped at, you know, after the game last night and they were like really dejected. <laughs> and I just said, "Hey, you know, sorry about tonight. Like, oh yeah. Going back to Ohio. Yeah. You come to Vegas and, you know, maybe not getting the weather that you expect because we have a little bit of a cold spell, which is we're, we're down, you know, we're down about, you know, 10 degrees from where we normally are at this uh, uh, time of year. And now you got to get back on a plane and go back to Ohio where it's even colder. Yeah. Not a good trip for those Dayton Flyer fans last night, but there were plenty of them. But, uh, a shout out to the UNLV fans because they definitely showed out last night. Uh, they were big. Now we talk about the 5,700 in, in attendance last night felt like a, a whole lot more. And that was the same night that the Golden Knights were playing. Golden Knights were playing the San Jose Sharks last night. And we know that the Golden Knights near capacity every game. And especially when the Sharks come to town, whether the Sharks are good or not good it's you know you know people are here you know for that game and uh so they competed against the golden knights last night and unfortunately the golden knights lose uh three to two unlv uh gets the win so considering that you are playing on the same night as vgk uh even more impressive but again you know i think the fans are pretty smart too they know okay hey we're we're, we're playing a pretty good opponent we're playing a top 25 team which they did last night, and they got the victory. So hopefully that catapults fans to get back into Thomas and Mac. And again, they're not going to be familiar with the names on the UNLV roster. I mean, this is a different time right now where with the transfer portal, I mean, you're not having guys that are here for, you know, forget, you know, three, four years. You're not having guys here more than one or two consecutive years because the transfer portal is, is is going crazy. So literally, you are recruiting a new team every season. And uh, Kevin Kruger can recruit, okay? He learned under his dad, Lon, who's one of the best recruiters of all time in college basketball, college basketball Hall of Famer. And uh, UNLV is in a good spot. And I said it when they hired Kevin Kruger. There is nothing wrong with hiring him because he has no head coaching experience uh, because he comes from that tree of his dad. He has some UNLV ties pl- playing here as a player for one year, uh, then assistant or T.G. Otzelberger. And uh, again, he, he knows how to recruit. Does he know how to coach? And with his own self-admittance, he said from the you know, very first time we had him on here, going back you know two years ago, he was like, hey, I, I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn as I go. And he's got a great teacher and his dad. And I think you will start. And I, I even notice 
how Kevin is handling the timeouts better. He's handling his personnel better. He's handling the game management so much better. I mean, last year, there were times, and he even admitted to us, that he said, yeah, I just, you know, I, I wasn't sure, you know. It's like, you know, stand up, sit down, because this is an assistant coach. You know, you can't stand up. Got to be sitting down. But he's getting more and more comfortable. And I really was watching him last night, uh, you know, just – you know, really in command of his team, you know, when to call the timeouts and everything and, and, you know, what to diagram and how to diagram, uh, you know, different sets out of timeouts. So congratulations to him. Very happy for him. And hopefully fans will get out of the Thomas and Mac and support this team. They're three and oh right now. And they just knocked off the number 21 team in the country, uh, the Dayton Flyers. So great job by him. All right. We come back. We talk a little NFL and who knows what else going across the pond. Our very good friend, Paul Buck Power Stewart, buckpower.com, the uh, NFL European voice, and also the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, guru, as I like to say, who continues to uh, write for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers despite being in England with his very fine website at buckpower.com. So all kinds of fun on tap with him. And then next hour, of course, uh, we'll talk a little more Raiders with Dennis Gaxiola a longtime Raider Nation season ticket holder and uh, one of the funniest men uh, on the planet as well, too. So we'll have some fun with him today. So we continue on here on this Wild Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. All right, let me put some water on your balls. More from the master debater. C. Martin. You'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Never did I think that this song would appear on my show. I mean, I listened to it when I was a youngster, but as a rejoiner, absolutely not. Why are we playing this song? Because we had heard from our on-the-spot German correspondent T.J. Reeves yesterday on the program, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sideline reporter, that they played this at the Buccaneers-Seahawks games in Munich, Germany on Sunday, which is crazy that they would play and everybody starts singing this song so uh yeah we got to get to the bottom of that and where do we go of course none other than europe but maybe a couple hours i have no idea southwest northeast who knows what i have no idea but where do we go to our good friend paul buckpower stewart in jolly old england buckpower.com country <laughs> Paul Stewart is waiting to join us here. It's okay. I guess I'll continue to listen to John Denver. How's the phone company working there in uh, in England right now? Ipswich or wherever he is. All right. Yes, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played, as we know, in in Germany. Against the Seattle Seahawks. And you could definitely turn this music off anytime you want. I don't need to be hearing this anymore. I guess it's not really that bad of a song, though, is it? I have no idea. 
right. Join us now from jolly old England. He can tell us a thing or two about the NFL in Europe. Paul Buck Power Stewart. What is up, my man? A very good afternoon to you, TC. Good afternoon, everybody in Vegas. Yes, I think I'm as bad as sick as John Denver as the rest of the world <laughs> is right now. <laughs> so explain this to me. TJ Reeves is saying that they're playing this song and the fans are actually singing this song like this is like the Neil Diamond of uh, of sports in Europe, uh, I guess, let alone Germany. Do you know anything about this? Okay, so what it is, TC, is this started back in the 90s in the early days of NFL Europe with the Frankfurt Galaxy and the Rhine Fire. Mm -hmm. And there were three or four different songs they would play. There was a song by DJ Otzi called Hey Baby, (laughs) where the crowd would all go, ooh, ah. And that's how it started. DJ Otzi. Paul, hold on. Paul Bugpower Stewart just gave us, one more time, give us a ooh, ah again from DJ Otzi. The song goes something like, hey, baby, and all the crowd goes, ooh, ah. And I'm, we're not doing any more of this. I'm not embarrassing wait, wait, myself wait, Well, hold on. Is, so not to be confused, with which we talked about with Steve Sachs the other day, Beach Baby by First Class, correct? Oh, I remember that song. That's a great tune. There you go, but, right? So this thing started with, with the fans getting involved in singing, and they would play Sweet Caroline. Right. And John Denver, the, the, you know, Take Me Home started. Well, the best story about this is there was another song that used to always get played at NFL Europe games. And there was a band in England in the 1970s called Smokey, and they had a hit with Living Next Door to Alice. (laughs) Now, what would happen is after they would sing Living Next Door to Alice, all the crowd would chant, ooh, ah, who the bleep bleep is Alice. And it became a sort of cult thing to do. And it got to the point where we were covering an NFL for Europe games on British TV, we had to town the field mics down because you could hear 30,000 people singing swear words. So when it came to the game on Sunday, all the real NFL journalists in Europe were just praying they were going to play this. The NFL had been pre-warned about it, so they didn't do it. Otherwise, you could have had 60,000 people singing something far worse. Now, here's what I understand. This is Smokey and Living Next Door to Alice. How in the world is this? Who wants to hear this at an NFL football game? I mean, it's, it's this guy looks like a young Barry Manilow, or maybe a young, I guess, Barry Gibb, or uh, or an Andy Gibb. He looks more like an Andy Gibb, and uh, I guess one of the lead singers of Smokey. But honestly, Paul Stewart, how does this get played in an NFL game? I mean, there's nothing that's like you know we will rock you about this. Makes no sense. What's wrong with you people over there? Well, hang on, hang on. Aren't you the nation who started playing Rick Astley songs in New York Mets Stadium a few years but ago? But that's like, you know, that's a beat, man. That's like 135 beats a minute. You know what I'm saying? This smoky song? You know, Alice? And here's the thing. I understand there's two versions to this about who in the F is Alice. I get that. But how did that even... Where? Who started that? Because when you listen to this song... I mean, are they making fun of the song? Like, okay, who in the F is Alice? 
No, I think it. I think it originally, from what I read about, it started with people doing it at their concerts in the late right. 70s. Right. And then for whatever reason, you know, some random stadium announcer played the song at a Frankfurt Galaxy game and that was it. And it became sort of part of the, the NFL Europe culture. Now, of course, NFL Europe, it was more successful in Germany than the other countries. It, it didn't work in England and Scotland simply because <laughs> the, the British fans over here, we were so knowledgeable about the NFL. We knew NFL Europe wasn't going to, you know, these were practice squad players and backups. The Germans very much accepted who cares it's football we're going to enjoy and they really bought into the whole thing which was why you know this game was always going to be a massive success and it's just a shame it took so long for the NFL to put a game there so Numchuk do you think you can get the other version the con- the the live version of of uh living next door to Alice are you quick enough to bleep out the no, the I'm F not. part no <laughs> Because we all know what it says. But it's different because I heard both versions. And I'm going, well, that's kind of a, a more raucous version. Maybe because it was a live version or whatever. But yeah, you're right. That that crowd really got into it. And uh, they, they had to be careful, like Paul said, you know, playing that, uh, you know, at the stadium there. But but here's still yeah, that, that opening, man. The, the, this opening 40 seconds. It's just like really. Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you got the right version because the the version that I remember hearing is is the live version. So, all right, I, I don't think I want to get there. We, we can just tell everyone in Vegas now needs to go and search this on YouTube, and they're all going to be singing it now for the rest of the week. Everyone's going to be walking around singing it. You could have it at the next Running Rebels game. You could be singing that version of the game. You know, when they try and go to four and zero, oh. it it, it kind of is a little little catchy chorus. I will say this. Here we go. No check's pretty good there. Here it comes again. I agree. Who is Alice? Who cares about Alice? All right, Paul. There it is. Uh, who knew? I would have never known that that would have been played at a uh, stadium there in in England. Who knows, man? Unbelievable. Well, it's, like, it's more of a German thing than an English thing. So I that mean, was a German thing. Okay, well. okay, okay. So let me ask you this. And I asked TJ this question, too. I don't think he, he knew the answer. Because, again, this is your territory, all right? Are there differences in the atmosphere in games between these European countries for NFL games? I mean, even the differences between England and Germany. You know, the atmosphere, the crowd itself their reactions, how do they respond? And then, of course, you know, you, you go to Buccaneer games, you know, here in Tampa in the States. Uh, what, what are the biggest differences? Uh, and again, let's throw in Germany since we just had a game there on Sunday. Well, I'm going to call TJ out here because I heard that yesterday he apparently said that the British fans were not as knowledgeable as the German ones. And I'm going to take real offence <laughs> to that. And I'm going to have words with Mr. Rees about this because the, the reason is, TC, and I know we spoke about this before, is the British and the German fans, they are all there to celebrate NFL football. They're not there to support one team. There's no home field advantage. So you're cheering for every big play, whether it's a run, a pass, a sack, an interception, even a punt and a punt return. The, you know, Whereas the American fans will only cheer for their own plays, 
you know, their home team players, the, the European fans cheer for any play. And that's the difference. The only difference was is yet the Sunday's atmosphere in Munich was very similar to the first NFL International Series game at Wembley in 2007 when the Giants played the Dolphins. And it was exactly the same. The crowd were really into it. Now, over the years, the British fans have become, I wouldn't say, you know, less excited, but it's like, hey, we've done this right, times right. before. This was a new thing for the German fans, so they went completely over the top. I've never seen anyone get excited over a PAT before, Paul. An extra point, they go crazy, I guess, because, again, you kick the ball, even though it's only from 20 yards, they get very excited because they like kicking. Well, I've heard the Raider fans do that because it means the Raiders <laughs> have scored a touchdown, which is a pretty rare thing these days. <laughs> this is true, my friend. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. All right, so we've taught music at these games. We've taught the differences, uh, games in Europe. Um, how about some of the glaring differences from from the crowd, of the tailgate? I mean, you come and you partake in the tailgate at, at, uh, at Buccaneer you know, home games there in, in Tampa. Uh, do the Germans do that as well, too? And uh, do the English fans, I mean, do they really get involved in – in, in tailgating, or is that just nah, not not so much of a thing? Well, it's a, it's difficult in in games in London TC because neither Wembley or Tottenham have got any kind of real car parking around the stadium. You really get there by public transport, so there's nowhere to hold a tailgate at either of those games. And it's the same with where they have your Lions Stadium in Munich. So there wasn't really the opportunity for people to drive in and have tailgates like you do in every game. Do you know like you do in Green Bay? It's a massive thing. You know, it's a whole day experience to go in, tailgate, and then watch the Packers lose. It's part of the experience of being in Wisconsin. <laughs> so it, it's not really something that's ever going to translate over here. But what you did have was everyone in the stadium an hour before the game started. You know, whereas people drift in and half 20 minutes before they're still filing into their seats – Alliance on Sunday, everybody was there an hour before because it was a huge experience and they wanted to save every moment. And it's the same as, as 20 minutes after the game had finished, they were still in the stadium singing. Again, that would not happen anywhere in America. All those people were there, Paul Stewart, but you know who wasn't there? You weren't there. Why weren't you there? I don't understand. This is an NFL game. It's in Germany. I mean, take your Eurorail pass or whatever. I mean, what is the reason that you did not go to this game? I mean, it's like me, say, if uh, games uh, a huge game comes once in a lifetime, or let's say that's that musical artist, that bucket list, they're coming down to L.A. or San Diego. I'm going to go. Why were you not in Munich? Oh, there, there were other reasons why I couldn't go last weekend. But, I mean, I know you probably needed me to be there. Yes. Because I've heard that uh, TJ let you down by oh. not getting you a, a German soccer jersey. But TJ did say to me earlier that it wouldn't be right if you weren't asking something for free or complaining about something <laughs> not being supplied for free for you. Wait a minute now. I mean, this guy, as you well know, and you're wearing probably a, a George Steinbrenner High School shirt yourself today. All right, you guys in your T-shirts, you know the piss-poor gifts that T.J. Reeves gives us with his T-shirts. I mean, he comes here, he always wants to give, 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 give. So the one time I say, hey, there's actually something that I would really appreciate you getting for me, and you don't have to pay for it. I'll pay for it myself. You are going to be there. You're at the hub, Bayern Munich, the best team in all of the Bundesliga, German national team, the fans, the capital. I mean, how can you, I just asked for a, a simple request. You're there. 
Get me a jersey. Give me the new World Cup jersey. We're two weeks away from this. That's all I'm saying, Paul. It should have been a slam dunk. It'd be asking like me to bring somebody back, uh, you know, a, a, a Freddy's uh, burger or a a, a, a Freddy's uh, shake or something like that. It would be so simple for TJ Reeves to do, and he drops the ball. I mean, Numchuck found a jersey on Amazon in 22 seconds. TJ Reeves is right there, and he can't get it. And he's making excuses. There, there is no excuse. What, what, what can I say, TC? I mean, if you want, you know, real Buccaneer information and and the facts and all the real details and people to rely on, you come to this side of the pond, not to somewhere in Lutz in Florida. There you go. <laughs> I right, you some of that huge amount of money you won on on the Astros winning the World Series. I've heard you uh, you won thousands, didn't you? Yes, but I, the thing about it is, I'm willing to pay for my jersey. It's no problem. But <laughs> but here's where I'm going. Money. Here's the deal. I can, and they did. Thank you very much, Westgate Superbook. Um, here's the thing. I'm one of these guys that like. Okay, I'm really not into the whole mail order bride stuff or you know the you know the the mail you know getting stuff uh amazon with these shirts or whatever i like the experience of getting something authentic from the park that's like my astros you know world world championship you know hat and 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 shirt boom i got it right there okay uh same thing i go to germany i would love to be able to get the jersey from there and when i have someone who is there Right there in in the in the hot spot, so to speak. Uh, I think it's a fair request. That that's all I'm saying, Paul. I mean, plain and simple. I'm will I'm willing to pay for it, but uh, I would just think that that would be a, a a simple thing to do. Well, I'll make you a promise now. When England win the World Cup in about four <laughs> weeks' time, I will buy you a England winners jersey and send it over to you. Uh, make sure you get Nunchuck's size on that because he's the one that's going to be wearing it, not me. <laughs> so, yes, we have the World Cup starting. But don't forget, of course, England also won the World Cup last Sunday. I'm sure you were following oh, that. The, the, the breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, here it is. The World Cup is two weeks away. But Paul Stewart is saying, yes, that England already won a World Cup. That's true. In cricket. In cricket. Hot. Correct. Then now, is that is that a big deal back there? It's a very big deal. So um, it's a it's a shorter version of cricket where you only have a limited number of time to score, you know, as many runs as you can. And England beat Pakistan in the final. The big event was beating India in the semi final. Mm-hmm. Now, in- India scored a pretty good total, one hundred and sixty nine. All I will tell you is that England scored 170 runs and didn't make a single out. Do you think the Indians could use a bullpen? <laughs> something. Uh, a bullpen, defense, something. I mean, do they play defense in cricket? Is, is that such a thing? Yes, there is. Yeah, there yeah. is. It's like defense in baseball. It's how you do it. So, yes, although we're coming in for the Soccer World Cup, England already have a Cricket World Cup, you know, in, in, the, in the trophy cabinet. And it all starts this Sunday in Qatar. Wait, how did Zimbabwe do? I mean, I mean, Zimbabwe has a cricket team, right? I don't think they have a, a soccer yes, team. Yes, they did. They got, yeah, they got through the qualifying rounds and they finished, I think, fifth out of sixth in their group. There some were two of the, groups of six countries. They did pretty well to get to where they did. Some of these nations that were in the in the cricket finals, and this was in Australia too, right? Correct. Yeah, and Australia did not make the semi-finals, wow. which was great for everyone in England. <laughs> of course, of course. All right, World Cup preview, my friend. Uh, what's the excitement level back there? And uh, what is your gut feeling? Now, we know that England is in Group B. 
England, Iran, Wales, and Team USA in group number B, my friend. So I don't know. Handicap it. What do you think here? Okay, well, this is something now. This is where this is something new and, and rare for you, for you Americans, because you're now going to be supporting your country. So, whereas you go and support your Raiders or your Golden Knights or you know whatever sport you follow your team, suddenly you're all coming together and you're all rooting for Team USA, which is different. Now, I think most of the games will take place in the morning American time. You you open up with a game against Wales. Now, this is the first time Wales have reached the World Cup final since. 1958, you will be favoured in that game. But what you tend to find in the first round of group matches is everyone plays not to lose. It's very, very cagey, very defensive. You know, like the first two or three rounds of boxing match where boxers are trying to sort of feel each other out. So England play Iran in their game. England should win that pretty comfortably. And to be honest, most people expect England and America to progress out of that group. But you never know what's going to happen. All I can say is the bragging rights when England played the USA, that could be quite something between you and me, my friend. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'll be, uh, I'll be looking forward to Group E, my friend, okay? Because you know who's in Group E. I mean, we've got my Germans against Spain. you got Costa Rica and Japan. So hopefully the Germans can get out. And I know this is the, the Germans are not really expected to do – that much here uh again just not the star power they've had in world cups past but i want to talk to you about just the whole atmosphere here paul because we've been waiting for this every four years but how maybe subdued is this or how much how many question marks are there because this world cup is in qatar most americans don't even know where qatar is what it is cutter but if anybody's followed like the political landscape here, you know that that is a very dangerous region. It's a dangerous country. They bought their way into hosting this World Cup. They really, I really have no business. I don't know if there's going to be any tourism whatsoever. We know that the the government there in Qatar has been offering to pay for people to come there to buy their airfares and tickets to games, all that stuff. Uh, and again, it's just uh, it's. It's a country that just is, you know, really, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just uh, not in a good light for people. Uh, how are you guys viewing this World Cup over in that country? To be honest, it is absolutely disgusting the World Cup is being held in go. a country like this. There you go. I mean, straight away... You know, the World Cup is usually held in the summer, you know, at the end of most countries' seasons. And, and you know, that's always been the case. And suddenly, this, you know, it should never have gone there. It was completely bribery and corruption with the head of FIFA, Seb Blatter, just taking a whole load of backhanders and going, that'll do, we'll have the World Cup in Qatar. Everyone's been complaining about it for years, but here we are having the World Cup there. Yes, you're right. Many fans can't travel because there's, you know, you, you get a step out of line there and you're not coming back again, you know. And it, it's crazy it should be held there. The, the conditions are going to be too hot. It, it's a joke. And, you know, the amount of it's pretty much like slave labor that's been used to build these stadiums, it's wrong. And it is everything that is wrong in sport that the World Cup is being held there. And, yes, it, it's going to cast a huge shadow over the whole event, TC. You're absolutely right. And I'm not. I'm going to stand on my soapbox and shout about it being wrong till till the day this finishes. I agree with you. And, and a lot of Americans, I mean, really don't care about it. And, and I don't think they're really aware 
of uh, the situation. You mentioned the slave labor and, you know, HBO Real Sports had done a couple great reports going back over the last couple of years in preparation for this and, and, and showed, uh, workers who were, were basically, you know, coming back, sent back, uh, home to neighboring countries in pine boxes. I mean, it's just downright disgusting. And I remember, you know, seeing the story and following it about, you know, how they got this as well too and the bribes that, that took place. And, uh, you know, that, that Hammenager who was in charge of, uh, FIFA, uh, what Seth Blatter, I mean, he's, Seth Blatter. yeah, no, he's, he's, he's out now, but, and now he's finally coming out last week and saying, yes, it was totally wrong. Well, it's, yeah, this is a travesty. I, I, I agree with you. And I just, and I'm just wondering now if we talk about the quality of play, you know, I mean, no one is, you know, they don't go to Qatar to play friendlies. You know, you're, I mean, no one, I believe, has probably ever gone over there, period. You mentioned the heat in November. Uh, you know, we, we can't even really fathom that, but that, that is true. I mean, who knows what the conditions are going to be like? How much of an effect will just the environment have on teams? Huge, because everyone will play very slowly. You know, it'll be slow, boring build-up stuff. Now, I mean, I'm thinking back to some... I mean, I'm not no massive soccer fan, as you know, because I prefer the sports on your side of the Atlantic. But the best World Cups have been the ones that have been held in countries that are absolute hotbeds of football. Italian 90 was an incredible World Cup. You know, the French World Cup in 98 was absolutely fantastic. You know, the one in South Africa, everyone remembers for those damn Venezuelan Vuz- things they were blowing. Vuzilla. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Yeah. But it, but it was awful in terms of the atmosphere. It was awful because the South Africans really didn't buy into the game. So you need to take it to a country, you know, Italy, Germany, France, England, you know, where the people, you know, Argentina, Mexico, Brazil. You go to these countries where it's a real hotbed of football, not to complete sterile environment. It would be like taking the World Series and instead of having the rabid fans you had in Houston, Philadelphia, and playing on the moon it's going to be that kind of equivalent atmosphere and it's such a shame that the biggest sporting event in the world which is what the soccer world cup is is being treated like this and unfortunately money has talked now this happened in the olympics going back in the 80s and 90s one samaranch who used to run the olympic federation he was an even bigger crook than Seb blatter was and he's dead now so he can't sue me but you know and blatter learned from him and was as corrupt as he was and it you know and i saw that quote where he said well yeah we shouldn't have really gone there you know that's because you've got a palace built from the money you were given yeah well put paul we appreciate the time as uh, always my friend let's uh talk to you uh, much more frequently here with the uh, World Cup because we'll be following it uh, from sea to shiny sea. Sounds good to me, my friends. As I say, go go Team USA, beat Wales, beat Iran, <laughs> but I hope England stuff you. We, we owe you one for the Boston Tea Party. Oh, no. It's just not. This is wrong. Alright, enjoy yourself, my friend. Bucks have a, a bye week. Uh, they get ready for Cleveland next week. So we'll see you. Paul, appreciate I it, brother. Thank you. All right. guys. Paul Buck Power Stewart. Always fun with him. Come on, people. World Cup. Come together.